what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. On the unstoppable force side, it's what I would call excess demand for housing. The degree to which month after month, we've seen the demand for homes exceed the supply that's getting listed. Uh, we have a lot of kind of barometers of that. I would say inventory is our best barometer of how much demand is exceeding supply. And on the, the immovable object that it's kind of running into is the affordability crunch. We've had prices rise so substantially. And now, as we just saw, mortgage rates, which were kind of the silver lining for buyers in the last couple of years, are also rising really rapidly, creating this kind of one-two punch, really raising the, the hurdle for especially first-time buyers to get into homeownership. So we're kind of seeing the, these two heavyweights go at it. And right now, I, I would say our early data from the first month of the year shows that buyers have so far kind of powered through but it's still pretty early to tell what the effect of these rising interest rates will be. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, president and CEO at HW Media. And today we are bringing you a broadcast of the 2022 virtual forecast event that we hosted for our HW Plus members back in February. This is a really cool virtual event that was hosted by HW Media's editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler. Sarah brought on Logan Motoshami, the lead analyst at Housing Wire, Selma Hep, deputy chief economist at CoreLogic, Marina Walsh from the Mortgage Bankers Association, Jeff Tucker from Zillow, and Sadie Gurley from Maxwell to talk about their forecast for the 2022 housing market and all of the economic data that we should be paying attention to as we build business plans and plan for 2022. At the end of this broadcast, I'm bringing you a special feature. This is a, a new recording that I just did with Logan Motoshami on Monday of this week to kind of do a refresh and make sure that all the data that's presented in the 2022 forecast event is still accurate and relevant and take into account the events that have happened on the, on the global stage, particularly uh, how Russia's invasion of Ukraine is impacting the housing market and our housing economy data. So this recording, uh, we're bringing you all the presentations from the forecast event. We are cutting off the audience Q&A. So if you want to hear that Q&A, you can visit the show notes for this article. And uh, if you're an HW Plus member, you can watch the full video with all the charts and all the presentations. Uh, we hope you enjoy this content. And please, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate the show and leave a review. We really appreciate it. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, and I'll be moderating this virtual forecast event. We're excited to have five experts on the panel today to guide us through this very timely topic on the economic outlook for the rest of 2022. Our format today will give each of our panelists an opportunity to present their forecast or analysis on housing economics. We're ready to jump in, but first, here's a word from our sponsor for this event. Hi, everybody. My name is John Possen, and I'm the founder and CEO of Maxwell. And thank you for joining today as we launch with Housing Wire Plus into the virtual 2022 economic forecast. Uh, we're really proud to partner with Housing Wire to bring together some of the industry's top thought leaders to inform and empower lenders across the country to get the most out of 2022. You know, this kind of event is especially important to me because it aligns so well with what we're doing here at Maxwell. Uh, I co-founded Maxwell in 2015 to empower lenders serving America's communities to thrive despite the constantly changing market conditions. And today we continue to pursue that mission 
by providing leading technology and industry expertise to help lenders gain a permanent disruptive financial advantage in their markets against their largest competitors. You know, that goes from our industry leading point of sale and processing workflow technology to our outsourced fulfillment and secondary market trading relationships. Maxwell's suite of solutions saves time, boosts efficiency, and adds real basis points to the bottom line. We now serve over 350 lenders nationwide, enabling them to close loans faster and helping LOs close more loans per month on average 20% more than the national average. To learn more about Maxwell and explore all of our solutions, please visit us at highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Uh, we hope you enjoy the event. We really appreciate Maxwell's sponsorship of the event. Um, we are ready to get started, so let me introduce our esteemed guests. We have Sadie Gurley, the Vice President at Maxwell, Selma Hep, Deputy Chief Economist at CoreLogic, Logan Motoshami, Lead Analyst at HousingWire, Jeff Tucker, Senior Economist at Zillow, and Marina Walsh, the Vice President of Industry Analysis, Research, and Economics at the Mortgage Bankers Association. Thank you all for being here for this virtual forecast. We're excited to kick off this discussion, and we're going to start with you, Marina, for um, your forecast. Thanks, Sarah. The most important question that comes into MBA economics is on our forecast. So I think that's the best place to start um, our forecast as of uh, January 2022. And so we have had an amazing ride for the past two years. Um, you know, we're talking about 4.1 trillion in originations in 2020. Um, 3.99, which I think will probably end up at four in 2021. Those were the two best years in the history of mortgage. Um, 2021 has even surpassed um, 2003, which, which comes now in third. And so we've really been blessed. You know, housing has really been the shining star in, in mortgage and for the economy over the past two years um, during this terrible pandemic. And if you look at the refis versus the purchase and the breakout there, um, you can see that purchase originations continue to go up. Um, they've gone up in previous years and even going out to 2023, we expect purchase originations in terms of dollars to continue to rise. Um, the, the big change, of course, is going to be on the refi side, which is very rate sensitive. We're going to spend a lot of time um, with the others on this panel talking about rates. But uh, substantial drop off in refis expected for this year. Um, you know, mixed mixed signals in terms of what's happening in January, and I'll tell you a little bit about that too. But if you look at the overall refis dropping, it's about 60%, over 60% um, drop off between 2021 and 2022, which really will require a, a tremendous amount of work in the part of lenders um, in terms of right sizing, in terms of, of managing to um, keep their market share, but also most importantly, be profitable. Um, and so you see that drop off of 60%. Again, we're pretty um, optimistic about the purchase originations in terms of dollars. Um, of course, we have home price appreciation, we have rising loan balances. So in terms of count, it, it's a little less dramatic than what we're seeing here. But let's look at some of the other data as well. So that's our overall forecast. 
And if we go now and, and look at what we're expecting in terms of rate hikes. Now, when the pandemic hit, you know, economy kind of tanked for a period of time, um, rates went way down low. Um, that really triggered the refinancings that we were seeing. But we're now at a point where uh, things are moving on all cylinders in terms of the unemployment rate being about 4%, you know, near pre-pandemic levels. Um, and at the same time, we have to start worrying about inflation. And you think about the rhetoric coming out of the Fed these days and Chairman Powell. Um, initially, a year ago, there was talk about how inflation would be transitory, that word transitory, you know, re related to the supply chain issues um, resulting from COVID. But that rhetoric has definitely evolved in the past year. And with unemployment rate where it is, um, with supply issues, uh, with, with inflation reaching levels that we haven't seen since the early 1980s, um, there's incredible upward pressure um, on rates overall. Now, in our forecast, um, we're baking in three rate hikes in 2022. So in addition to these rate hikes, we're also seeing the Fed change their stance in terms of um, bond purchases, both treasuries and, and MBS. Um, that's supposed to uh, start in, in March. Um, they've given us a lot of warning on that. Um, and so they are going to stop their purchases. But at the same time, they're also talking about shrinking their balance sheet. Um, and it seems to be focused on the mortgage-backed security. So it's kind of uh, the two prongs of not purchasing bonds, but at the same time, also, there could be a shrinking in the balance sheet. So all those factors put tremendous upward pressure. We have wage growth, um, you know, uh, labor markets incredibly strong, um, almost too strong, right? Um, and so that's leading to um, pressure in terms of bringing up those mortgage rates. So MBA is expecting by the end of the year to get up to 4%. Um, in the weekly application survey, we're already at 3.78% as of last week in January for the 30-year um, fixed rate mortgage. So, uh, you know, it, it could be that our forecast for the first time, it's very rare, but um, our MBA economists are hearing, wow, 4%, that might be a little conservative, you know, uh, it might be even higher than that. Um, but uh, that's where we think we're going to end the year at. Um, just in terms of some other more recent activity, this is looking at our refi index. January has been very interesting, if you think about it, because we had a period of time in January where we saw this pickup in purchases. It's as if um, homeowners wanted to get in before, before those rates went up. Um, and, and so we saw purchase originations um, increase a bit. And usually January is sort of a slow month for purchase originations. And at the same time, as of um, our most recent weekly application survey, we even saw an increase in refis um, in the most current week. So again, rushing to get in before um, these rate increases. But um, in general, the, the pattern, if you look at 2020 into 2022, our refinance index has been dropping. So we're sticking with our forecast. Um, and then in terms of purchase originations, I just want to highlight this. If you look at purchase originations in loan count on the left versus purchase 
um, uh, uh, applications rather, um, in terms of dollar, you know, pretty substantial changes. So while we're forecasting um, an increase um, in purchase for, for 2022, some of that is still driven by dollar volume. Um, tremendous home price appreciation, depending on which source you look at, it could be between 15% to 20% year over year. Um, very strong home price appreciation, and, and that's leading to that index on the right, which is based on dollar volume, to be quite in line with 2020, whereas if you look at 2021 and 2020, um, based on simply loan count, um, it trails um, a bit. Um, and so far, not a lot of reprieve in sight. Uh, not yet. We still have issues. You know, we have uh, surveys from home builders, you know, issues with supply, lumber problems, labor problems, um, just uh, uh, difficult to put all the pieces together to get those new home sales um, revving up. Um, so that is what we're seeing on the purchase side. There's certainly a lot of demand. If you think of all the millennials that are reaching home buying age, there's certainly demand. Um, so it's just a matter of getting the supply um, in place so that uh, uh, we can meet that demand and we're not there yet. Just one or two more. I really spend most of my time um, on lender profitability and what this all means, um, originations, home sales, what that means for lenders. And so here we're looking at our quarterly mortgage bankers performance report for independent mortgage bankers, and it represents about 350 mortgage lenders. Um, pro production profitability is simply production revenues, gain on sale, servicing rights, fee income, net warehouse spread put together, less fully loaded expenses. So your sales costs, your fulfillment costs, support costs like technology and secondary marketing, as well as corporate costs. You take those revenues, less those expenses, and in basis points, you have net production income. Um, and here we've been doing this uh, study since um, 2008 in its current format. Um, and you can see the um, average uh, net production income hovers around 55, 56 basis points. Um, so Based on our most recent data, we have it in third quarter of 2021 at 89 basis points, so still higher than the overall average, um, but certainly not where we were in 2020 when we were upwards of 203 basis points. But if you look at this orange line, that's representative of the average firm production volume, incredibly high. Again, this is representative of independent mortgage companies only, so no banks are included in this particular report, but um, very high volume. And so the volume has a way to go down based on our forecast. So if you also look at sort of the breakout between revenues and expenses, um, you can see that really the last two years has been a revenue play in terms of gain on sale. There was so much business that, you know, the pricing was very supportive of mortgage lenders um, for the past two years. Um, we're seeing a little bit of change in terms of the mortgage treasury spreads. That's narrowing a bit, but, uh, you know, went up a little bit in January. But um, in general, what we're 
seeing is this has really been a revenue play. Look at the expenses in terms of um, basis points, um, which translates into just over $9,000 per loan. Um, those expenses have been going up in basis points and dollars per loan since the second quarter of 2020. Um, so while there was initial drop-off in expenses as fixed costs were divided by more loans, that only really stayed in place for one quarter. And so we've seen five quarters of increasing expenses. And as those revenues drop off, we can't depend necessarily on the revenues um, for that net production income. So the other places expense, it's going to be a big focus uh, for mortgage lenders um, as origination, as those refis um, sort of drop off in, in 2022. So that is what I have to kick things off. Sarah, I'll pass it back to you. Thank you so much, Marina. Uh, we know that our audience is very interested in, in those stats, especially when you look at the profitability, the revenue, the expenses. So thank you for sharing that part with us. And um, now I'd like to turn it over to Jeff Tucker, who is the uh, senior economist at Zillow. Appreciate that look inside the mortgage industry. Um, I'm going to kind of give a, a broader uh, outlook on especially home price appreciation in the year ahead, as well as our sales forecast here at Zillow. I'm starting to frame this as a question of what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. And what I mean by that is we have on the unstoppable force side, it's what I would call excess demand for housing, the degree to which month after month, we've seen the demand for homes exceed the supply that's getting listed. Uh, we have a lot of kind of barometers of that. I would say inventory is our best barometer of how much demand is exceeding supply. And on the, the immovable object that it's kind of running into is the affordability crunch. We've had prices rise so substantially. And now, as we just saw, mortgage rates, which were kind of the silver lining for buyers in the last couple of years, are also rising really rapidly, creating this kind of one-two punch, really raising the, the hurdle for especially first-time buyers to get into homeownership. So we're kind of seeing the, these two heavyweights go at it. And right now, I'm, I, I would say uh, our early data from the first month of the year shows that buyers have so far kind of powered through, but it's still pretty early to tell what the effect of these rising interest rates will be. So just to kind of uh, set the stage, this is our 20-year history of, of home price appreciation. You can see the story, the bubble, the burst. You can also see the, the story of the, the first-time homebuyer tax credit. That's why the recovery looks like a, a W there back in 2010. Um, pretty slow and steady uh, recovery starting in 2013. And now we had to adjust the Y-axis on all of our charts in the last couple of years, of course, because now annual appreciation by our measure, the Zillow Home Value Index has hit, approached uh, 20%, about a fifth is how much prices are up. That is astonishing. That is that is something I never expected to see in a particular year. And it's just a measure, I think, of the degree to which home demand surged at a time that supply was simply unable to keep up. But that's, that's the big picture. We know it's been a hot housing market in the pandemic. What's the kind of granular picture of, of how things are changing? Uh, we saw it just getting hotter and hotter right up till it kind of peaked in June, uh, May or June of 2021. And we really did think the fever was kind of breaking last summer. And it looked, all signs were kind of pointing to, okay, that was that was the peak. It's got to be slowing down now. The, the frenzy is coming off the market. 
and that, that was the story right up until Q4. And then in Q4 of last year, things reheated. Uh, it, it reignited. I think buyers kept coming and sell it. You know, we, we start to see a bit of a breakdown of some of the seasonal patterns in the housing market where buyers, whether they were stymied all year or they had this fear of rising interest rates in the year ahead, they didn't mind, uh, you know, browsing Zillow during Thanksgiving dinner and just forging ahead with their home search. Uh, but they ran into so very few listings. Um, that has also caused the seasonal relationship. So this is uh, the typical seasonal relationship for days to pending for listings on Zillow. It's always slowest in the winter. Um, you know, it's always fastest in May. And that has kind of uh, what the pandemic has done is just caused the market to move faster at every time of year. And now we've we've got the first couple of weeks of 2022 data on there. You know that what that's showing is that January had a market heat in the speed of pending sales. This so far this January, typical of May 2019, the fastest point in a pre-pandemic normal year is how the market feels right now in January, which is always the slowest point. So this this is uh this is kind of another dimension of that unstoppable force of unmet buyer demand right now kind of typical seasonal pattern for inventory levels across the year. Uh, 2020 had no seasonality. It just kept getting lower and lower all year long. But typically, uh, we do kind of bottom out some kind, sometime in early spring. We expect the sellers to come back uh, in home shopping season, start listing more and more homes. But one takeaway I want to share with this was, again, that idea of kind of the fever breaking in the market seeming to nor- start to normalize a bit in Q3 of 2021. That shows up in the way that we 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 were kind of closing the gap on inventory for a while. It was not as far below normal for a, a few months there in August and September. Uh, it actually started getting further from normal this winter, really in, de- in December and January. So so once again, that was something where it seemed to be normalizing, and then uh, it just kind of reignited uh, in in the middle of winter here. All right, so uh, on to that, the, you know the the, the kind of um, immovable object. Uh, it's it's hard to even keep up with the changes in interest rates. Uh, I think some of my colleagues here on the call can do a better job at it. Mortgage rates are up about 70 basis points now in the last month. Uh, some of the weekly surveys, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting to confirm that or sort of show that. And, you know, this is the Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey. Uh, what that means in practical terms for buyers is that in a single month, the principal and interest on a 30-year mortgage has risen by about six or seven percent, maybe eight percent by the changes this week. That's compounding onto the twenty percent increase in purchase prices. Um, no, I, we, we we've never seen a, 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 that combination before of such fast price appreciation and this very very rapid increase in mortgage rates. Um, so I, I will finish here with with what I came to share, which was our forecast. On the sales volume side, we're expecting another strong year for sales. But I will say this this forecast, we need to be constantly re-updating this to incorporate the change in mortgage rates. And so I would qualitatively shade this down at this point that I I just know there's going to be some more headwind from higher rates. But all these signs about strong demand coming from increased household formation, coming from that millennial wave of people born around 1990, they're entering their 30s. They want a home of their own. They want to move into single family homes. They want to buy that first home. Um, 
that's several million extra people going through that process right now. And I think that's the fundamental driver of this demand. Uh, certainly the pandemic has accelerated that or moved up that decision by a few years for people. Uh, and from what I can tell so far, it looks like that's that's carrying right on into 2022. So we're actually expecting to continue to see year over year uh, price growth up around 20% for the first couple of quarters, right out into May of 2022 before a bit of mean reversion and kind of coming back down to earth. But I I suspect this this may be a more bullish take, and I'm, I'm happy to get into it in, in our panel discussion later, that by uh, sort of for the full year 2022, we're still expecting about 16% price appreciation on our home value index, uh, basically driven by this incredibly low inventory and, and very strong demand. So that's kind of to sum it all up, that's, you know, I, I think it is still a seller's market. We're watching carefully to see how much affordability is dinging buyers, you know, it's holding back that demand. Um, we're, we're absolutely seeing some of this demand kind of diverted into single family rentals of, of people who are unable to buy that first home. And uh, I, I'd love to get into this in the, in the discussion later, but, you know, we don't have a single national housing market. People shop locally and we've really seen this the hottest in the Sun Belt and especially sort of medium sized secondary cities. So with that, I thank you for your time and attention. I'm going to uh, relinquish control and, and send it back to you, Sarah. Uh, thanks for that, Jeff. This is so great. It's why we wanted to have five different perspectives on here because you know what Marina brings, what you bring, what everyone brings is a little bit different. And uh, great to see that perspective from Zillow and also just what you're seeing in home price appreciation. Like you said, it, it, it's just, you run out of words after a while. <laughs> when we're trying to do headlines on these things. It's like, okay, we've already used shocking and skyrocketing and, you know, okay, what, what's the next word? So I can only imagine for you economists as you're trying to redo your charts. And with that, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Selma Hep, the Deputy Chief Economist at CoreLogic. Thank you. Thank you so much, for Sarah, for and everybody else uh, for, for including me <laughs> in this. Um, so, But I what I wanted to uh, note first is that the majority of my uh, presentation is going to f- uh, focus on prices uh, and, in fact, more so of where the overvaluation may be and what uh, what are some areas of areas of potential risk, like geographic areas. So um, we were talking about uh, home prices in 2021 rising at uh, as much as 15% annual rate nationally. So uh, I'm showing you here just the um, sort of a historical 20, well, short history from 2010 to 2020 at about 55% uh, annual um, uh, rate of appreciation, which tripled in 2021. So now going forward in 2022 and 2023, there is expectation of slowing, um, but the rate of slowing may vary quite a bit uh, depending on the geographic area um, and and where it ends up at the end also uh, it may have a lot to do with um, what the local conditions of those areas uh, is, is, such as unemployment, uh, such as population growth, income growth, uh, being the three uh, most important things. But nevertheless, for 2022, uh, overall uh, annual rate, uh, we projected about 10%. And another thing I, I will note that forecasting is a very uh, un unsatisfying business because you're 99% of the time wrong. So, and we do also um, revise our forecasts 
uh, monthly. So <laughs> things change uh, depending on uh, what else is going on in the economy. So, but with that, um, I wanted to show you what the current uh, rates of appreciations were in uh, top 10 states. This is as of December 2021. And then where our forecast is for a year out. So this would be what the rate of appreciation is going to be in December of 2022. So I mentioned a 16% annual growth rate nationally, but obviously we've had much uh, stronger appreciation rates in some of the states that have seen a lot of population growth. And I'm going to say that a lot of population growth, income growth, and uh, uh, employment growth. This seems to be the key uh, three components, again, where, where, where that are driving the um, these rates of appreciation. But Arizona here at almost 30%, Florida, Utah, Tennessee, and, and so forth. Uh, all of these are above 20%. So the national being at 16, and these are all above 20% uh, appreciation rate in December of last year. So now looking forward, um, these are the uh, this is the forecast for at the state level. Um, and the areas in lighter green is either no change, uh, so flat prices a year out, or less than 2% change. And then uh, on the other side of the spectrum are the light blue or darker blue areas where it's six, uh, four to six or more percent annual appreciation rate. Um, and California being one of those area with the highest forecast for appreciation. Uh, and one might wonder uh, how is that even possible at this point? Uh, but you know we've we've seen a lot of income growth, and so when you think about where the potential for a further appreciation is, it's in areas that people can afford it. Obviously, Jeff talked about affordability constraint, uh, areas where people can afford, and uh, California still does remain one area where we've seen a lot of uh, income growth. Now, um, this slide shows you, on one hand, in, in the red line is the annual uh, change in HPI, and the blue line is percent of CBSAs that had price decline at the same time. And one thing to note that is that a lot of the uh, local conditions may be masked by the national numbers. And so even when we have uh, national numbers growing at the rate that they that it's been growing, so say 16% last year, there could be still some areas where we, where we see uh, price, price declines. Um, and so while, while that not, may not be the case at the end of last year, if you look at the where the blue line ends there, not with the dot, but just where the line ends, it ends at zero. So we had zero uh, percent of CBSA with price declines. But, you know, even when home prices started increasing at a fast pace in the middle of 2020, we did see some 15 percent of metro areas uh, having price declines. So um, sometimes, you know, we have to focus on just what uh, on also what's happening lo locally, not just what is happening nationally in, in terms of home prices. Um, and then the dots here represent our forecast. One is the home price forecast and the other one is the percent of CBSA that uh, we forecast we'll see price declines at that point. And so um, with, with HPI slowing to about 5%, about 10% of metros are forecasted to see uh, home price declines a year, for, a year from now. Now, you know, recent price accelerations have led to some overvaluation. Some markets certainly are overvalued, and that poses some concern uh, for, you know, investors, uh, home buyers, whomever, you know, on all sides of, of um buying and investing spectrum. Um, but 
our market conditions indicator. And what market condition indicator measures is to what degree the home price index is uh, um, higher than the rate of current um, income growth in that area. So when a market is uh, significantly overvalued, such as is uh, in markets in Florida and some of the markets in Arizona, that means that the current home price index is, is it, it's, here it's a significantly overvalued, but I can tell you the number behind the significantly overvalued terminology is more than 100% uh, over what the fundamental home price value should be given the local area incomes. Um, and so, you know, we still have a lot of markets that are undervalued or are normal, and some of them are in California. And again, I want to emphasize the importance of income growth here um, and in and how that feeds into this uh, valuation uh, equation. But markets that are most considered overvalued, a lot of them are in Florida. So you can see here the list on the left-hand side. Florida, a lot of markets in Florida, a lot of markets in Arizona, some markets in, in Texas, and some in the Mountain West area, where we have seen uh, uh, home price appreciation in excess of 30%. And mind you, you know, we're talking about local, um, local incomes here, where a lot of uh, Appreciation, appreciation happened because we've had immigration from areas that have had much higher incomes. Okay, the risk of a price decline. Uh, we have this indicator called market risk indicator, and this indicator measures the probability of home price decline uh, 12, 12 months out. Um, and so uh, fortunately, a lot of areas are um, yellow or light orange, which suggests very low or low probability of home price declines. But some there's a, you know, a, a handful of areas, let's say, um, or two hands full of areas that have elevated or high probability. Uh, and actually 12 metros have, and this is out of 392 metros in the U.S., um, 12 metros have a probability of more than 50%. And then when you look at all 392, 33% have less than 10% probability of price decline. So that means that 66% have less than 12%. So now, now I'm, now I'm, um, that, that means high probability of decline. Sorry, I, I confused myself here. But the areas that do, we do see uh, higher probabilities, again, are areas in the West, uh, some Mountain West and Northeast. Um, and here's the top five metros where the probability is 70% or higher. Um, and Prescott is number one. And Prescott has actually been on the list for, for about a year now of high probability. So a year ago, we forecasted that it has high probability price decline, but it didn't decline. So that just shows you the difficulty of this uh, price forecasting business. Um, and, and my last slide just talks about, um, emphasizes the importance of looking at jobs and job recovery. And the areas where we've seen, again, most home price growth are areas where we've seen a lot of job recovery. Well, you know, at this point, it's still recovery because we're at 84% of jobs lost uh, due to the pandemic. But uh, you can see these five, um, five states here that have more than 100% uh, job recovery. So that means they've recovered all the jobs and have created more jobs. And this is where the uh, housing markets are tight and are likely to see uh, continued strong home price appreciation going forward. So with that, back to Sarah. 
Selma, thank you so much for that. It's so fascinating to see it on that sort of local level. And, and those insights are, are really interesting. Um, I'd like to hand it off now to uh, Sadie Gurley, the Vice President of Maxwell. Thank you. Good day. It's really fun to be and a privilege to be part of this, this panel. Um, I don't actually do forecasting as a living, but I, I do spend a lot of time looking at the market and thinking about it. And as I was thinking about the panel, there were some things that actually made me very happy about being in the mortgage industry. After 2008, the mortgage industry declined, um, but 2020 brought a lot more new folks back into mortgages, loan officers, processors, and underwriters. And though we all know the mortgage industry is cyclical and it's definitely going to shrink over the next two years, I'm hoping that a number of the people who have rejoined the mortgage market or joined for the first time stay and continue to work on revitalizing and improving technologies. Um, I'm really optimistic about that. The other positive thing that I think that came out of the last two years was a large migration, um, which we just spoke about, or Selma just spoke about, from cities to more suburban and rural areas. People have discovered they can work from anywhere, leaving high-tax states and small apartments for places like Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and especially Florida. And I hope they stay and set down roots and improve the economies of small towns. Um, but we do have some uh, more challenging things to come, I think, in the next two years. It, over the course of really less than 30 days, the market fundamentals have changed rapidly. And as we move from 2021 to 2022, most industry participants expect a 30 to 40% decline in refinancing activity, as our other panelists discussed. Um, and better than expected payrolls for January meant there's going to be upward pressure on mortgage rates even sooner than I think we all expected. Going into the end of last year, I, I do think we collectively agree that refinance volumes were going to be down significantly, but the number of borrowers that refinance over the last two years has not left the large pool of borrowers within the money coupons. With the current 30-year, somewhere between three and three quarters and four percent, less than 10 percent of the 30-year universe has a refinancing incentive. That is down from about 66% a year ago. Even before the recent backup in rates, the aggregate CPR for Fannie Mae 30 years was around 20.8% for the last six months, and January was 14.8%. In talking to a number of our clients, we felt that purchase activity would increase and make up the difference from the reduction in refinance volume. And I do believe that that is still going to continue to be the case. However, while new home sales yesterday showed a month-over-month -month increase of 12%, year-over-year -year decrease of 14% caught my attention. In December 2020, only 299,000 new homes were on the market, and that was a 3.8-month supply. At the end of the year, the inventory had risen to 403,000 available new homes, which is an estimated six-month supply, how over 39,000 of them were completed. The rest were under construction. Some other news, the share of adults planning to own home purchase has fallen for the last three consecutive quarters from 17, 16 to 15% in the last quarter of 2021. The downward trend is evidence that low housing availability and high prices are leading some Americans to postpone home ownership plans. After growing steadily for six quarters, peaking at 61% in the second quarter of 2021, the share of prospective buyers actively trying to find a home has fallen to 52% by the end of this year. This trend further demonstrates how rising home prices are discouraging a growing number of potential home buyers from engaging in the, the purchase process. 
And now that we're in 2022, all eyes are on the Fed. On Friday, mortgages underperformed amidst a sharp sell-off in fixed income that was driven by the January jobs report. That jobs report showed non-core payrolls grew 467,000 last month, despite what we all thought was going to be a slight contraction. The other piece, wages rose 5.7% year over year. Additionally, previous month payrolls revised upward for a total of $709,000 of additional employees. The strong reading fueled a much more hawkish tune in the market with regards to the pace of tightening monetary policy and caused the 10-year to sell off. The odds of a larger 50 basis point rate hike at the FOMC's March meeting now stands at approximately 40%, and most economists are projecting three to five rate hikes this year. And something else to watch, what we also have touched on briefly, is how the Fed is purchasing mortgages. For example, on Friday, there were $5 billion in mortgage flows, and the Fed purchased approximately $3.6 billion of them. Yesterday, there were $4 billion, a pretty big decrease from Friday. And again, the Fed purchased $3.6 billion. When they stop reinvestment in March, that's going to kind of act as a double whammy in the market. I think that people felt back in the summer that it was fairly clear that we were entering into an inflationary environment and that there was ample money supply. And I think we all wish the Fed had started reinvestment uh, reductions sooner um, so that we don't sit in March with a potential 50 basis point rate hike and a zero reinvestment policy. I do, I do fear a little bit that this could end up being an overcorrection. Right now, the Atlanta Fed is projecting first quarter GDP at about 0.1%, but inflation is running close to 7% and crude oil is above $90 a barrel. The Fed definitely needs to take some pressure off the system. I mean, we have a few other things going on in the world as well. Um, It looks like the ECB is also committed to raising rates. I mean, there is some good news, at least with the economy. Consumer spending picked up to 3.3% annualized. Um, also, business spending in the fourth quarter on industrial computer, computer gear, software, all posted significant gains. So back to the mortgage market, what does that mean for us? Well, the recent flattening in the yield curve, uh, which has occurred in anticipation of both the raising rate and the uh, slower economic growth, has created some challenges. We could see a situation where adjustable rate mortgages and 30-year fixed rates have similar coupons. So as uh, somebody who talks to originators um, and who is focused on helping that part of the market, I think there are some challenges that they're all going to have to face. And um, we just need to be cognizant of what this means in this new environment. First of all, productivity is down, fixed costs are sticky, and with the reduction in profit margins, making sure to have a strong balance sheet, strong hedging strategy, to mitigate the volatility is going to be key. Managing operational risk with these tighter margins. um, And I think they actually are gonna continue to compress as uh, the premiums come down and they have higher stuck fixed costs, reducing fixed costs, focusing on efficient processes and reducing overall origination costs are going to be key. Servicing is now uh, back to the forefront and having a good servicing strategy or MSR strategy, which is a natural head to rising rates is going to be important. And then I think we're gonna see a lot of originators pivot to other more lucrative projects, such as Jumbo and non-QM to help retain margins and and be profitable. 
And while I, I hear a lot of talk of originators looking at non-QM as a way to boost origination flow, I think it's important to remember the past. Right now, guidelines and underwriting are fairly strong, but we are starting to see some riskier programs, and I do not want to see a race to the bottom like we've had in the past. After two fantastic years for mortgage participants, this is going to be a very substantial transition year, and it's going to be imperative that mortgage originators make decisions to focus on reducing costs and investing in technology and reinforcing their balance sheet. We saw how everyone pivoted so well in 2020, and I know that the companies will do it again in 2022. Turn it back to you, Sarah. Thank you, Sadie. Really appreciate that. Love having each of you guys kind of take it from your own angle. We're going to hear from our last panelist, who is the lead analyst here at HousingWire, uh, Logan Motoshami. Logan, take it away. It is great to be here. And on this day, when the 10-year yield is actually slightly above 1.94%, which is a key level for me for many years, um, let's talk about 2020 housing. So What's going on here? Mother demographics wins again, right? Years 2020 to 2024 has the best housing demographics ever recorded in history and mortgage rates are near all-time lows. Don't overcomplicate it, right? People buy homes to live in, right? It's not an investment for them, it's a shelter cost. So the unfortunate aspect of what's happening currently and why I keep on saying this is the most unhealthiest housing market post-2010 is that total inventory levels have gotten below 1.52 million. When it gets below 1.52 million, bad things happen, right? Uh, home price appreciation gets uh, out of hand because we simply have a shortage of homes. And this started all the way back in 2014. When you look at total inventory data, it's been slowly moving down, right? We didn't have like a booming credit expansion in the last expansion on mortgages. But when you get just a little bit more demand, like we've seen in the last two years, 300,000 to 800,000 more sales and trends, inventory draws down. Right, the whole forbearance crash thing never worked out. American homeowners on paper looked better than ever. Fixed low debt costs versus rising wages, nested equity on top, cash flow. The Federal Reserve came out today with their uh, federal uh, uh, debt profiles. FICO scores exploding higher. Debt payments are very low. Homeowners are in, and they're in for a long time. And the problem we have is how do we get? inventory back to kind of 2018 and 2019 levels when we're dealing with this. That's the struggle. And if I seem like I'm rooting for higher rates, because I am, there's no no other way for us to actually get total inventory levels back up higher, except for higher rates. And the problem is, where are they, right? We have the fastest growing economy in decades. We have the highest rate of growth of inflation in decades. The Federal Reserve is hawkish and the 10-year yield is below 2%. That's not how it's supposed to work, unless you believe in the long-term downtrend in the 10-year yield, unless you believe the long-term downtrend in rates for 800 years, right? We are heading lower. We've been heading lower for a long time, but within an economic expansion, uh, we can get yields and rates to rise. So the 2022 forecast for me was that there is one way to get the 10-year yield above 1.94%. It has nothing to do with the Federal Reserve or any of that. Global yields have to rise, right? Japan and Germany all together. All global yields rising together in a more functioning normal economy can get us above 1.94% to 2.42% on the 10 year yield, which means 4% to 4.5% mortgage rates, which should, in theory, create more days on the market. We saw this in 2013 and 14. We saw this in 2018 and 2019. So we need a breather in housing. And it's not coming through forbearance. It's not coming through 
all baby boomers going to sell their homes at one uh, at one specific time and millennials can't buy them? No. Higher rates have only been the thing that has cooled the market in the previous expansion. It should hopefully um, create more days on the market. <clears throat> when we talk about existing home sales, when I do my sales forecast, I do sales trends because I actually, I, I don't adjust my numbers monthly and I give sales ranges to where I think where things are good, normal, or bad. Last year, about 5.84 million to 6.2 million. As long as we're in that range, everything looks fine. We exceeded that toward the end of the year. Mortgage demand picked up. Remember, everybody's saying, oh, it's FOMO, it's investors and everything. Mortgage demand picked up toward the end of 2021. Mortgage demand picked up in early in 2022. They are the primary drivers of housing. It's not investors, it's not cash buyers. When mortgage demand fades, so does housing. So this notion that Wall Street or hedge funds are holding up the housing market is no. I buyers were not even 1% of total home sales, no. Mortgage demand drives this. So we'll have to see if the 10-year yield can move itself up to 2.42%. What does it do to housing? We track this stuff weekly, daily. We, we can see it if it does impact it. But the number one thing is we want days on market to grow. We do not want another year like we saw in 2020 and 2021 home prices. My five-year price growth model that is specifically set for this five-year period, this very unique once-in-a-lifetime period, it's already smashed. I had 23% cumulative growth. If we go above that, uh, it's an unhealthy housing market. We broke it in two years. So going in the future, we, let's see if the economic data can hold itself. Let's see if, if global yields can move forward. Because if it can, rates will rise, right? And then housing should cool down just a little bit. It's not everything is going to be a crash. Because why? Mother demographics wins. The biggest age group in U.S. history are ages 28 to 34, first time meeting home buyers, 33, move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors, millennials, soon Gen Z will be in there. Altogether, we should have total home sales, both new and existing, 6.2 million and above during this five-year period. So 2020 was a pass, 2021 was a pass. The question is, when do rates actually impact this? So uh, for me is I need to see global yields keep on rising. I need to see the economic data not fading out because right now the 10-year yield is not that far away from the two-year yield. What does that mean? The bond market doesn't really believe the inflation story, nor does it believe the economic growth story, rate of growth. Because if it did, the 10-year yield would be way ahead of the two-year yield. And what's happened in the past, in the previous expansion, which was really critical to this discussion, people think when QE ends or when purchasing is done, rates have to rise. Well, when QE1 ended, bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell. When QE2 ended, bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell. When the taper was ending in 2014, bond yields fell and mortgage rates fell. When QE3 was ending, it was supposed to be the end of the world, guess what happened? Bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell. So we work within channels, right? And in the 2022 forecast, 0.62% to 1.94%. However, if global yields are rising, which they are, negative yields have been dropping in a big fashion. That is a positive, right? So if we could continue this, then we could move a little bit higher. And as long as economic data doesn't fade, as long as the stock market acts normal, we don't fall back down noticeably. My fear is that the bond market is telling us, hey, inflation is not going to be that big of a story in a few months. Uh, economic growth is going to go back to a normal growth. All this super fast growth that we had is the rebound effect. 
uh, disaster relief, all these things will fade out of time and we go back to what we normally are, a very slow economy. That's population growth is falling. Productivity is not booming. And that draws yields down. And that to me is always the concern about this period, which I wasn't worried about in 2008 to 2019, is that can we keep rates high enough to create a breathing room for inventory? If it doesn't, we're going to have another unhealthy year of home price growth. And that's what we have to deal with. And it's unfortunate that we're dealing with this now because this is our biggest demographic patch ever. And they are struggling to compete. And that, you know, we look at these uh, Fannie Mae surveys. Worst time ever to buy a home. That has nothing to do with the fact that people don't want to buy a home. It's just that there's no homes out there and you're competing against somebody and you're like the 26th person on the bid. Not a fun place to be in. So let's, for once, root for higher rates, root for higher yields, create more days on the market, get it back up to 30 days, and then we have something balanced. And that's why I've always said, target 1.52 million to 1.93 million, total inventory of the NAR numbers. We want to get there. We don't want 2023 uh, to start at fresh new all-time lows. And that's why it's really crucial for the 10-year yield to stay above 1.94% because if economic data fades and the Fed gets too aggressive, bond yields are going to go down, right? And guess what happens? Rates go down with it. And that keeps housing demand stable, but the unhealthy home price growth should be everyone's concern in the housing market in 2022. All right, folks, Clayton Collins back. It is March 14th. So we're uh, we're a little past four weeks of when this event, this 2022 virtual forecast event was recorded back in February. And uh, I'm bringing to you live today, Logan Motoshami, Housing Wire's lead analyst, who you just heard from in this February forecast event. Welcome. Welcome back, Logan. It is great to be here. So it hasn't exactly been a quiet month. Uh, a lot has changed predominantly um, on the on the world stage. We have uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, which is bringing a, a lot of different things to the, the global economy. And Logan, I want to take this chance to talk with you about what has changed in your forecast, what has changed in your 2022 view of the housing economy uh, since this forecast event, um, where you were joined with uh, four, four of your peers uh, from the, the housing forecast and housing economist landscape. But uh, I want to give you the stage to talk about what's changed in your view of the 2022 landscape for housing. Okay. So everything kind of looks the same to me, except when you have a high variable event, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's created a surge in commodity prices, and we're basically having a financial economic war with other countries now. Um, that gets the same kind of respect as like a COVID-19. You know, the chaos theory back in February 3rd of 2020, I wrote for Housing Market. This is, you got to be mindful of this, except this one is a little bit more, it's different in the sense that we don't know what can, things can get a lot worse here. And it could be more sticky where COVID, you know, there was a delay. We kept, we got back to normal. The economy was fine. Um, for housing in this regard, uh, and, and, and actually this is the fear I have, that the economy starts to get weaker toward the second half of 2022 and bond yields and mortgage rates fall, which might sound good for everybody in the housing market and people might refinance or whatever, but we are, we are in such an inventory crisis, like a savage, unhealthy housing market that uh, I'm, I'm 
pushing for higher rates. I, I wanted to see it happen. I thought the, you know, going back to the 2022 forecast that if Germany and Japan's bond yields can rise, global yields can rise, we can break that 1.94 level and have some duration. And I'm hoping that this resolves itself uh, uh, for many reasons, of course, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but uh, the economic data can stay firm and bond yields could go up higher and it could create a breather for the housing market. Uh, my fear is that with this event, if it gets worse, you know, that the uh, some of the economic data will start to get weaker, bond yields will start to go back down, uh, the Fed uh, uh, abandons any of its, you know, seven or eight rate hikes, uh, and it, it creates a more unhealthy housing market. So that that is incorporated to all my work right now, uh, tracking everything on a daily basis. So Logan, in the event you were you were beating on the drum that we need a breather in housing, you talked about some of the drivers that could potentially give us that breather, higher rates, global, and it, which would be the result of global year, yields changing and more days on market for housing. So if you think about your rate forecasts, your days on market forecast, which ultimately impacts inventory, where do you see those changing uh, or, or, or flushing out as we look forward in 2022? So inventory has gotten worse this year. And what we have to look at as now the seasonal time of inventory happens where inventory increases, but we have to be careful here. We want inventory to go up so much that we have positive year over year gains and it's not happening. It's down year over year again. So the yearly inventory increases happen always in the spring and summer. It fades in the fall and winter. So hopefully, I'm, I'm just hoping here, Bond yields can stay high enough and mortgage rates can stay high enough so the days on market can grow a little bit so it gives the housing market a little bit of breather and we could get some traction on the total inventory level. But again, if economic data starts to get weak and bond yields fall and mortgage rates fall with it, to me, that is an unhealthy uh, 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 turnaround event due to the Russian invasion uh, because the economic data was very firm. Uh, leading economic indicators are good. Uh, labor market is good. Job openings are over 11 million. But the inflationary pressures right now got worse, and we have to be mindful of that going out uh, in, in the future. This isn't a recession call. Only one of my six recession red, red flags are up, but I'm more concerned about this event because we don't have any idea of how long this is going to last. Can it get worse? Uh, until we get some clarity on that, we have to show the respect uh, to this event in terms of what it can do to the economy. So I'm looking at the Housing Wire Mortgage Rate Center right now. And according to Optimal Blue, the 30-year conforming average rate is 4.28. Uh, MBA index is showing 4.09. And Freddie Mac's PMMS, which is probably the, the most widely tracked 30-year mortgage rate average, is at 3.85. So we've seen a massive uptick in rates since this forecast event just a few weeks ago. Um where do you see rates going as we look forward into the, the heart of the spring buying season in May? What should mortgage lenders and real estate agents help their clients prepare for? If the 10-year yield stays in the upper range forecast of 2022, which is 1.94 to 2.42%, we can see 4 and 4.5%. Four and okay? uh, considering how the demographics are, that, that isn't going to be too detrimental. But the longer it stays on there, the hope is days on markets grow. Um, but again. If the economy starts to get weak, 
bond yields are going to fall. Now, we saw an initial bond yield reaction to the downside when the headlines came in. But right now, the data has been firm. You know, so, so it's a big tug and war right now for the rest of the year between uh, can the economic data here and around the world stay firm or, hey, guess what? Bond yields are going to have to go down again. Germany and Japan are going to have to go down. It'll take our 10-year yield and mortgage rates down with it. It's very hard to get mortgage rates to break out higher. And, and my evidence is right here. We have the hottest economic data in decades. We have the hottest inflation growth in decades. We have commodity prices surging. We have a, a basically a war right now, a financial commodity war out there around the world. And the 10-year yield is like 2.14%. You know, uh, it, in the previous expansion, when yields were that low, people would say, oh, my bond yields are too low. It's talking about a recession. So it's hard for us to break out but if we could just stay above these levels for a certain period of time, maybe get a cool down because it has gotten really, really bad out there for the housing market in terms of inventory that we need a breather more than anything. And this was always the biggest fear about years 2020 to 2024, the inventory channels breaking and the supply chains in terms of people wanting to move. Now the risk is, hey, I'm a homeowner. I'm doing great. You know, my mortgage payment's already fixed, inflation's up. Why would I want to even think about moving in this environment when I have such a good rate now that mortgage rates are higher from where a lot of people have refinanced to? Uh, we have to be mindful that we do not want inventory to collapse again. We are, we've passed the breaking point right now, and it's a completely unhealthy housing market. Logan, what is the first sign we will see if the market starts to take a breather, do we see changes in home price appreciation? Do we see movement in interest rates? Do we see inventory ticking up? What's our leading indicator days that we actually on, yeah. days on market? Days, days on, on market, market should 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 grow. Now, my goal, the goal actually, the goal that I have is that total inventory levels using the NAR data gets back up to 1.52 to 1.93 levels. That's just taking you back to 2018, 2019 levels. That should kill the bidding wars. Okay, we are 860,000. 860, so we're not going to get there this year, but higher days on market first. Now, uh, part of the forecast is I have existing home sales uh, as a lower sales trend, you know, getting back down to 5.74 million. We've already had a few prints above my high level at 6.16 million. So sales coming down just like it did last year. If it could create more days on the market, that is a positive. That is the most important thing for the housing market is to get a breather and Trust me, building more homes or none of that stuff is going to help you right now. The only thing that can cure this is or a breather is higher rates, but it has to stay higher. It cannot just go back down when economic data, if economic data starts to fade. Logan, thank you very much for the update. And thank you for all you have done to keep our audience informed and engaged. Have a good one. You too. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.